If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. It's a podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and you are listening to a 50% Chris podcast with uh, Chris Lydon, Chris Francis, and, you know, from his hermetically sealed uh, unit, the Winter Soldier, Tom Pestak, has uh, graced us with his presence. Um, we've thought him out to play a little who he play for, and, uh, and, and, you know, just get a little bit on the the Cavalier bandwagon here. So, uh, you know, just like to- uh, just like Perk calling out Usher, um, <laughs> I I similarly would like to come out now so that I don't look like a pure bandwagon fan here when the Cavs are a four seed going into the playoffs. Yeah, you, you got to start using those courtside seats, huh, Tom? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, gladly. I'll gladly watch Darius Garland fight through screens like a maniac after years of watching Kyrie get stuck to people like flypaper. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, this is 50% Chris's and 50% OG's. This is going to be fun. Yeah, this is going to, this is going to be fun. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, a beat down tonight. I think a few of us had the idea that this might be a trap game tonight, uh, but clearly the Cavs, despite not having Evan Mobley tonight, who was out with a sore hip, did not take the Houston Rockets lightly. Uh, whooped up on them. Uh, was up by almost 40 uh, in the third quarter. Uh, almost made it to 50, and then, you know, the Rockets cut it to a not completely embarrassing 124-89 beatdown. Uh, but the Cavs were rocking and rolling this whole game. Um, Chris Lydon, what did you like that you saw from this game? Well, even with Mobley out, I thought Okoro, uh, raised the floor of this team. And we've seen it in the last, what, like four games, but it was especially evident tonight. Like he gives you so much on defense, especially with how big the front court is right now. And then when he's actually doing what he's been doing, uh, making threes and doing a good job, bringing it straight through the paint or backdooring. It's perfect, and it raises the floor of the team. I think that's why they had an easier time tonight than some people might have thought. Uh, Chris Chris Francis, anything to add? No, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's right on, and 
Dean Wade, like coming in six for eight, three for five from three, double double in 34 minutes, just like cold, you know, like he hasn't played in a while. Uh, he's been cold off the bench, just coming in seamlessly. The team is so freaking deep. Uh, Kevin Love throwing up another 15 points in 15 minutes. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, he's averaging a point a minute. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Rubio, Rubio had an assist a minute too, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, Rubio had 12 assists in 21 minutes plus 30. I mean, it was just, uh, I mean, it's, uh, they play, they've been playing championship caliber basketball, to be honest. Like, that's what the last 10 games have been going on is that this team is ranked in the top five in the NBA in offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. Like, everything is clicking, and everybody's staying healthy, relatively healthy. Hopefully, Evan Mobley get better, you know. I remember that fall, uh, Chris Fewer brought it up, the, the fall that he took landed on his hip. Uh, it was brutal, so uh, rest up, and hopefully Mobley's okay. But, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I'm... I'm Honestly, speechless. I'm speechless. <laughs> They're a championship team. They're playing like one. Well, at, at Whoa, the, at the that's very, a hot, that is a hot take. I mean, Darn. at the very least, they are last year's Utah Jazz of the East of just a really, really good regular season team. Um, you know, we saw three just absolute season highlight plays tonight. Um, we saw an Okoro dunk over three different guys that, at once, uh, with no remorse for human life, we saw Ricky Rubio. Uh, I think Chetty scored a three, or somebody scored. Ricky Rubio stole the inbounds, behind the backed it to a cutting um, Ed Davis, you know, Larry Bird and Dennis Johnson style to uh, beat the buzzer as the first quarter ended uh, for like a very smooth, you know, total demoralization of Houston as as the first quarter ended. And then we saw Jared Allen block that I'm pretty sure they felt in Jakarta. It was so vehement. Uh, when Who did he block there? I can't remember. Come on, one of the Chris's got to jump in. No, it's, it's, well, I don't remember. It was just a poor soul. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it was just a poor, poor freaking soul. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't bothering to learn a whole lot about any of these guys tonight that I yeah, didn't know so much about. Was it uh, Armani Brooks? Yeah. Or I mean, Tom? A- Tom, does he play? Who he play for, Tom? Armani <laughs> I'm looking Brooks. at it now. It's number eight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you can't. You oh, can't that's Ohio cheat. guy. Who's that's number Ohio eight? Guy. That's you Jay can't Sean cheat? Tate. Who is it? Jay Sean Tate. He's an Ohio guy. Ohio State. Man, that's that's some crazy nuggets. How much are we paying these guys, Nate? That's awesome. Well, yeah, yeah he, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, I, I I know I know what you're talking about now. I wasn't sure which play because there were there were more than one that that went that way. Well, this one you could hear across the arena. I felt. Yeah, that's right. Number eight is Jason Jason Tate. Yeah, you said he's and, from Ohio. Oh, he's from Toledo. How about yeah, that? OSU guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Somebody oh, said yeah. that he got, he got he got sent back to college with that play. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, back to Columbus. he almost got he almost got sent six feet underground. That was so violent. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a jump out of your seat block yeah. for sure. Yeah, and then I want your insta take on the Okoro dunk then too. If you're just pulling up highlights and you know 
randomly waxing poetic on them. It was impressive because two guys hit his hand and the third guy hit him on the hip. Um, it was violent. It, I mean, it was a little bit LeBron-esque where it's just you should probably just get out of the way because he's got he's got some momentum behind him. It was it was it was exciting. I'm just thrilled that I thought Okora was the weak link of this team and the he last was four or till five. about two weeks oh. ago. The last four or five games, I mean, he has come alive. I, I watched a lot of games early in the season, and he'd randomly hit a three, and, like, John Michael and Austin Carr would start talking it up. Like, that's what you need. You know, you just need to you just need to keep shooting, you know. You know, typical, you know, Austin Carr wisdom. And then a couple plays later, he'd, he'd just miss everything. Like, And then everything. Austin Carr would say, that's not his shot. No, no, no. In fact, it, it, the misses were so bad. They just didn't say anything. It, just, it was just it was just dead air, and they just like moved on and started. <laughs> just pretended like they didn't see it because he just missed the whole hoop. It was like he missed by three feet. But uh, I remember that game, that one where like it was like danger, low flying planes, and he like hit the side of the. Yeah. Well, there was on one. The so there was one early in the season where he hit a three. They kind of talked him up. A couple plays later, he missed by so much. AC didn't say anything, and John Michael just made a sound like, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) I was cracking up laughing because, like, they didn't even know what to do. There was no way to try to be like, well, you know, that's a tough shot. (laughs) He's just wide open. And then a couple games later, a similar thing happened, and they just didn't speak about it. It was just unspeakable. It's like, we didn't see that. But It's like prime AC. It's like prime Austin Carr stuff right there. I love AC. I'll defend him to my grave. Oh, He'll yeah. probably he's, outlive he's me. Great. That guy's so healthy. It well, took him a minute too, I think, to find like some some chemistry, and uh, I think they he's doing a great job now. Yeah, it, it did, but they're great. And uh, no, Coro, you don't. I mean, you got enough scoring on this team. You don't need everyone to be dynamic. You just can't have huge liabilities, but. He's shown me all season that he's a good transition finisher, which that's a skill. And, you know, the Cavs with all these blocks create a lot of transition opportunities off of half-court sets without cheating, which is great. And he, I've seen lots of creative finishes where he'll double clutch, guys will fly by, he'll go up and under. I mean, he's got some skill finishing for sure in the open court. He's had that the whole time. You know, maybe he could be a bit of our Bruce Bowen, like if he's in the right spot. You know, spot it up. He just works on it enough that he'll become a knockdown shooter. You know, not off the dribble, maybe not the wings or or the top of the key or whatever. Just depends on what he gets comfortable with. But he's putting up like 15, 20 points a night now, which is just that's just gravy on a team where it feels like every night they've got five, six, seven guys in double figures. And you just you love to see it because, you know, what was it? Well, who was what was the game where they kind of shut down um, uh, DG the other night and the Cavs still won? Uh, I mean, oh, the last it was the game, Miami, I think the Miami game. game. Yeah. Miami game. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Miami so, just basically, Darius Garland isn't going to beat us was, was right. the plan. And Cavs still won no problem. So that I think that's, that's key that they've got a couple different ways they can win. Um, I mean – what I love about watching them is just how hard they work and they like up tempo. Like they're, if, if you're going to get sloppy, they'll run on you and dunk on you all day. But at the same time, 
if you're a team and you're like, all right, let's stop giving the Cavs easy buckets. Let's slow it down. They can tighten the screws in the half court too. So yeah, you totally I, saw that at the end of the game against Miami. Like they got a ten point lead, uh, you know, ten and change with about five minutes left, and they just milked that clock. And we're just like, okay, we're gonna pay, play the possession game. If we don't get a good bucket, we're just gonna defend well. We're not gonna give you any transition opportunities, and we're just going to basically, you know, Russian winter infantry defense we're not going to give you any momentum to get back in this game and you're done you know what i mean and that that it the multiple ways to win games is really impressive yeah Man, i gotta give of, you oh, oh go sorry i gotta give you props nate for your last podcast because as totally yolo you were um just coming out of left field everywhere you had some crazy nuggets of wisdom and one of them was when you talked about how you didn't really care that much that Rubio's three-point shooting percentage was so low because he was fearless and he had no problem taking the three. And, man, did you see that? Was it against the Wizards when they came roaring back and Rubio hit those two threes? Or was oh, it the yeah. Tim- Timberwolves? Timberwolves. Yeah, T-Wolves, yeah. yeah. T-Wolves. And when he hit those threes, I literally started – I was in the baby room trying to get that little bastard to sleep, and he wouldn't. <laughs> and I just started singing, Ricky, don't lose that number. And I was just thinking about <laughs> your your whole, like, he just has to have the balls to take that three. And that is so true because the second any of these guys are looking at basketball reference and being told, hey, you know, this isn't a high percentage shot for you. They're going to get scared, and then teams, mm-hmm. you know, defenses are going to key in on that. That's right. So they just got to keep shooting. You just let it fly. At the end of the day, the difference between 30% and 40% is only a couple shots. Think like Kobe. Just just jack it up. No, that's that. a great point, Tom, because it, uh, they asked J.B. Bickerstaff about Rubio and doing that and stuff like that. And basically what Bickerstaff said was that Rubio has been playing basketball since he was 13. He's not afraid just of anything on the court because he's been playing it for so long, you know, and he's had a lot of success at the international level with the Spanish national team. So he's got the, he's, you know, he's got the confidence to shoot that shot all the time because it's just a game to him. You know I mean? He doesn't make the moment too big for him. And I think that was definitely part of how he was clutch in that Wolves game that you mentioned. And the Cavs in general, like they have this high low game with their bigs. That's like in every book written about, like basketball offense ever and no one does it anymore because the league's just sort of moved on from that model but they can still run so many sets that can be successful in half court like you were saying um but they're not they're not you know they're way more fun to watch than than last year's jazz team i've got that you know batting around in my brain since nate brought it up and like well not from a style of play no 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 regular season excellence Oh, yeah, and they could very well be, yeah, because they haven't done anything yet. But um, part of what makes them so fun is that they're not not dominated, which is something that we've seen a lot of as Cavs fans by one guy. And then they're not that reliant on the three. I was, like, making a spreadsheet the other night, just looking at their, because I couldn't find it on on basketball reference, like, looking at the correlation to wins and uh, for their three-point percentage and their three-point volume, and it's really not significant at all. Like, they're winning... Uh, not with the three, you know. So as long as the threat is there from all of those players, it's going to keep that big game going in the middle. 
Well, I would say that, you know, the corollary to that is they're not losing because they're not shooting threes, which is was happening a lot last year. It's like they're probably shooting around a league average number of attempts, but their three-point shooting was so low last year that it just was a little bit painful, and they're just unafraid to shoot. And I think it's a little bit, you know, going back to what Tom said about the confidence thing, I think that's so much of what Okoro's issue was, was that, you know, he just had to get the confidence Everybody forgets he literally had not played a full season's worth of NBA games until like a few weeks ago. And so, you know, he just had to get used to the speed of the game. And obviously they changed the trajectory on a shot a little bit and they've kind of slowed down and gotten rid of some of the wasted motion. And now it's all just confidence. Like he's just stepping into him. It's crazy. It's worth, it's worth bringing up. It's something I talked about before, but um, I don't think on the pod, but Okoro's shooting coach was on um, one of the podcasts. I don't know if it was like the Cavs own podcast or it was like the chase down or something, but they had a shooting coach on last year. And he was saying that basically with the bubble and all the protocols that he had and then, and then no off season, he had just started working on Okoro's shot in the middle of the season. And so like, I think he had to rebuild it. I think it got worse before it got better, just like any fixed shot does. But he has no crutch to like lean his game on while he tries to improve his three because our bigs have their own gravity to such a point that they were just leaving him out there. And his transition game wasn't enough for him to like lean on to get going. So once they actually started falling, his the rest of his game has been right there. It's been really complete. That's an awesome, awesome little nugget of wisdom, as Tom Pestak would say. And with that, we will be right back. Welcome back to Cats of Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and there's too many people to name on this, but I will throw this one to Tom Pestak because we're playing a little, uh, throughout the day, we're playing a little who he play for. So I'm going to start with the first one, Tom. Who he play for, Mace Windu. <laughs> That's like a Star Wars character. Don't mess with me, Nate. Okay, who played Mace Windu? Uh, is he no, the, no he's not no the... Google. He's not the, he's a trap guy, right? No, that's Admiral That's Akbar. Admiral Akbar. Oh, yeah. who's Mace Windu? He's in one of the newer ones. The newer ones suck. I don't know. Uh, well, not the newest ones. He's in the, the, uh, the second trilogy or the prequel trilogy, but, um, it's, uh, it's Jules from, uh, Pulp Fiction is Mace Windu, a little Samuel <laughs> Jackson. Ah, okay. Yeah. Now I remember. Okay, now the second that was a question. good that was a good who he played for though because that that totally sounds like a guy that could be in the league right now. Yeah, so second one, Desmond Bain, who's he play for? That sounds like an actual player, and I have no idea. I'll guess <laughs> um, not the Cavs. I've seen too many box scores. Desmond Bain, um, I don't know. I'll guess the Nuggets, Memphis Grizzlies. Oh. Oh. He, he's one of the cornerstones of my fantasy team, which. Is not saying much. I thought the Grizzlies were like Ja Morant, and he scores a thousand points, and everyone so, else just kind of. So Desmond Jay Bain, Jackson Jr.'s team now. Desmond Jay- Bain, though, is lighting it up. He's basically their third mm-hmm. scorer now, and they picked him with the thirtieth pick of the draft last year, and he's become a high level starter for them. So, um, all credit to uh, Jacob Rosen, former Cavs tweet. Cavs uh, Twitter aficionado is now running. Oh, yeah, waiting for next year. Yeah, is he, not, is he, he in the, runs. Is he, 
analytics for the Grizzlies now. That's incredible. Good for Isn't him. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, former waiting for next year guy. So you never know. I'm friends, with, I'm friends with him on LinkedIn. Well, there you go. Uh, shout out to Jacob L. Rosen. Yeah. And uh, with that, I think we're going to talk about a little lineup data. You know, feel free to sprinkle in a little who he played for. Chris Francis, or what, what are some trends we're seeing of the last, you said, 15 games? Yeah, I went back to the last 15 and then to to piggyback off of the Okoro talk, I mean, he's now doing a lot better. I mean, he's scoring 10 point, he's averaging 10.8 points per game, shooting 47% from the field, 36% from three, 80% from the line. So... I guess whatever work he's done on his uh, shooting technique is working. I mean, 80% from the line is pretty freaking nice. That's a huge leap, too. I think he's never been I – don't, I don't think he broke 70% last year, but maybe I'm mistaken. Um, I mean, those aren't Kevin Love numbers, but they're pretty good. Yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty good, exactly. Um, and, you know, uh, the other thing was his um, – the other thing I wanted to point out was – the usage, uh, the usage rates of over uh, of the guys in the offense, kind of how it's morphed post Sexton, um, it's just become a more kind of egalitarian offense. I mean, Darius Garland is uh, topping the team in usage at twenty seven percent, but I think uh, there's been a bump in Jared Allen, uh, Laurie Marketins, uh, Kevin Loves, uh, particularly too. He's at twenty three percent, second on the team. So. Uh, it just seems like the offense has become more big, like more egalitarian and more big centric, um, which is uh, paying off big time. I mean, basically, they've been able to simplify the whole offensive game plan in the half court to who has the mismatched. Is it Laurie Markkinen? Is it Jared Allen? Is it Evan Mobley? OK, let's get the ball to them and let them cook, you know, and then just good things are happening. Because all three of those guys can pass the ball too. You know, we saw Jaron Allen dishing it out a few. Like he got a lob to Okoro tonight, you know, and he's been got a lob to Mobley the last game. So uh, it's just and, kind of and like. And Mobley had a lob to him the last game too. I mean. Yeah, exactly. So they're just simplifying the game for these young guys and they're just kind of playing big boy ball and it's working and it's just, it's yeah. unstoppable. Like real, real the only way too. you can, you know. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say uh, another, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but uh, the Cavs are also in the top half of the league for usage uh, variance. So I, I think they were maybe top 10. Oh, wow. it, it changes a decent amount, right? But just because the numbers. So what, what is usage variance? I mean, I know, but I'm asking sure, for the sure, audience. Yeah. So that's just <laughs> uh, taking, taking the usage of all of the rotation players or whoever contributed in a single game. And then looking at the variance between the the usage scores for those players, so it tells you if you've got two guys dominating the entire game, or if it's really, really more spread out. And uh, the Cavs are very spread out in their production, especially with a third of the season worth of uh, data. That that is that is awesome. I would say the other thing, you know, there's a couple other trends that I'm seeing that make the Cavs so hard to beat. You know, you talked about spot the mismatch. Once you spot the mismatch, the Cavs are swinging the ball to the open shooters. You know, they put their guys in positions where they are set up to hit shots they're good at making. Um, the other side of it is the Cavs, you foul the Cavs, they make you pay. They're like Tim Misney at the free throw line. <laughs> 
they will make you pay. I mean, are, where are they at in terms of they got to be near the top of the league in free throw shooting percentage as That's a team? A good question. Hold on one second. I'll, I'll get that. Real quick. Hot Googling action. Exactly. Kevin, no Love is, Kevin Love is <coughs> shooting 99% for free throw. <coughs> I believe right. he is 51 of 52, they said tonight on the season. Yeah. I think he's what? like 54 of 56 for like. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Didn't, didn't he miss one tonight? No. He, oh, okay. He didn't miss any tonight, but I, I think he's only missed two on the season and he's got like oh, okay. in the 50s. Nice. But one thing that I've been really impressed with the Cavs um, is to me, this team I always thought was going to struggle in a half court offense. I just thought, all right. They're a gritty defensive team. That's fine. But they just don't have enough dynamic offensive players. But I've seen a couple ways that they can – they have bailout plays that previous Cavs teams – the only bailout play was ever, you know, Colin Sexton getting hot. Now I've seen a couple. So the first one is Darius Garland two or three times a game just takes a three from like eight feet behind the line and makes it. Which is really exactly. nice yep. to have that ability when the shot clock's running down and the defense thwarted all your action and it's just like, well, now what do we want to do? And it's a high enough percentage shot that it's not it's not a bad it's not a bad shot to take. The second one is I think one of the Chris's was alluding it to it earlier, how the Cavs have a high low game that sort of went extinct. What I've been so impressed with Evan Mobley is First of all, it's weird seeing a competent rookie in general. It's really weird seeing a Cavs rookie be competent. Um, It's even weirder yet to see a big Cavs rookie be competent after watching (laughs) J.J. Hickson and Gumdrop Bear and everyone else. And Mobley, do you ever notice how when he's got a smaller guy on him, he just instinctively goes to work? He's like, well, I guess guess this is where I I score. He doesn't get that kind of like, oh, my gosh. You know, like sometimes you see guys when there's a mouse in the house, it's actually worse because they like realize it and they kind of panic and they move too fast. If, mm-hmm. if a smaller guy's on Mobley, he takes his time. Uh, the rotation, you know, the, the people rotate to the weak side. He just backs them down. He's got a couple moves. He's got up and under. He's got all kinds of counters. And then even Jared Allen's got that. So mm-hmm. they've got, mm-hmm. okay, throw it into the low post, which they did with Jared Allen against the Timberwolves when they were making that furious run from being down 1,000 points and cutting it to under 10. Basically, the Cavs put him away with going inside to Jared Allen, who got fouled a bunch of times, and he made a layup or two. And then, of course, Rip Rubio hit those threes. Mobley will do that. He'll take people down into the block sometimes. Markinen, um, Markinen is not, like, great at it, but... He has gone from being, oh, God, they're posting up Markkinen to, okay, he's he's competent there. He he can take, you know, D'Angelo Russell in the post. Who he played for? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, another, another Buckeye Tom. has he played for? He's like a cancer, isn't he? Well, he was on well, the yeah, Nets. Actually, and then yeah, he went I would to say the so. Lakers. I mean, other, other way around, Tom. So he went from Lakers, Nets to uh, Golden State. To oh, yeah. and then he went from Golden State to the T Wolves in the uh, in the Wiggins deal. Wait, was he on? Was he on the T Wolves the other night? Yes, was he, he was injured. Yes. Yeah, but oh, he he's injured. injured. He oh, okay, I, I don't remember seeing him. Okay, all right, that makes oh, sense. Okay, well, and then, and so then lastly, and and these these seem to do better off action versus bailout, but Markin and Love can shoot threes over the top of people, so. 
you know, for weeks I've been waiting for the Cavs to fall off because I just think, eh, they've just got some talent limitations on offense. But the longer I've watched them, when they're even moderately healthy, you know, their their general half-court offense is fine. And when an opposing defense really tightens the screws, they've got some individuals that can kind of bail them out. Um, Well, you saw it the other night against Miami with the, you know, Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio two-man game was just unstoppable for Miami. That was was nice to watch. And by the way, anyone else notice? I bet if we did got sports science on here, Kevin Love's shot has like – Five degrees more arc than I've seen since he donned a Cavalier uniform. Like every time he shoots, I think it's going in. I guarantee you he is getting more arc on his shot. It just it it he used Healthy to shoot this kind of flat shot. And man, like when yep. he's taking these threes now, I'm like, oh that's going in. And the I think it's net, spin. net barely like, moves. It looks like yeah, it's weird. Like it looks like he's flicking his wrist. That's the only thing I've I've, I've looked at this as well because it's it's noticeably different. And I so think he's the, flipping his wrist a little bit more. So they actually interviewed him, and he said he actually uh, what he does to get that rotation and that spin is he actually visualizes Jerry Colangelo's head is the ball, and he wants to see how many times <laughs> his severed head will rotate through the air before it goes through the net. Um, and and with the hope yeah, that wow. there is still blood flowing to his brain and he can see the world tumbling around as he – no, I just made that up. That's not but actually just true. Think but. about that though. Think about how dead Kevin Love, the player, the reputation. Just think about how many forks were in his back. And now it's like, holy crap, we got an above average like bench player that passed point, well. Point and, a minute. Yeah, and can just go off um, – I mean, I you know I, mean, I think he's got, so we, much. we salvaged we salvaged that Kevin Love contract. I totally no one him. wants him. Fine, we'll just we'll just let him <laughs> run second units off the court and be that joyful presence. That's an underrated aspect, right? Part of the reason that twenty six Cavs team won it all was because Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson just injected some good old fashioned joy into that team. And you watch this team and these guys. They are loving life right now, and they're just playing unselfish ball. And I can't say enough about Darius Garland's attitude because that guy seems mature beyond his years. He's always, you know, he's he's. How do you stop a guy that will just as easily toss a lob as look for his own shot? He's like, he's like eighty five percent of Kyrie Irving's offense, and basically. 500% 500% better at everything else, defense, passing, you know, whatnot. I, I love it. I mean, and build, we're, around, yeah. build around this core of Garland, Mobley, yes. Allen, and uh, Okoro. And, man, this, you know, this team. Can, and Markinen. This, this te- yeah, he's yeah, young, he's too. Here. This team can young be exciting fine. for the next half decade. Like, we may be – preseason games may be must-watch for these Jared Allen blocks. There's there's this whole thing I've been noticing, too, with a lot of the pressers that they've been doing, like there's always platitudes and there's always uh, PR speak involved in, in, in post press conferences. And I think it's very unpopular to take these guys at their word, you know, but they keep talking about like how good the culture is or how much fun they're having. Like Kevin Love did a big soliloquy pretty recently about like everybody's bought in and and uh and, and everyone is selfless. And Taco Fall did an interview where he said, like, yeah, there's just no egos on the team. And we all have fun. 
Like usually you just think that stuff is, I mean, like the Browns say that. And then like, you know, <laughs> seven weeks later, it's like a disaster. <laughs> We're trading OBJ. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but with the Cavs, like I believe, I believe them. It, it's, it's very believable that what they have is like a old fashioned, like drafted a bunch of dudes chemistry team. And when the wins weren't happening, it was just much harder to see that nucleus forming. And then also with press coverage being super screwed up, right? Like there's no, a bunch of these guys have been in the league. Like Isaac Okoro has never been in the league when there's a beat writer standing next to your locker room after every game. But that is a really good point. Actually. I really like that analogy. It's just like that. It's been more of an incubator for these guys. They haven't had the constant kind of negative press and all that stuff. And now the guys go up and they do their interviews on a podium. If, if, they're requested or whatever, but you know, a little bit, I want to pray and we'll get into it a little bit when we get back, but I want to absolutely praise JB Bickerstaff. You know, um, I've got to celebrate you, baby. I got to praise you like I should. And we'll, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Cavs, a podcast. This is, this has been a hoot so far. We got Chris Francis, Chris Lydon, Tom Pestak, you know, 50% OG, 50% Chris. You know, it's it, it's been a fun one so far. And, you know, one thing I said before uh, we went to the break and something I said last week is uh, J.B. Bickerstaff. You know, I, I said last week I there was a lot of babies I wanted to have of people's, uh, according to Tom. The maternity and- ward was full <laughs> last podcast. <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it, it was it was like a, uh, a Pestac marriage. A lot of babies. And <laughs> a lot of there were a lot of babies. <laughs> <laughs> nothing but love, Tom. Nothing but love. Um, so yeah, JB Bickerstaff. I'm just amazed what this guy's been able to do. And I was as critical of anybody. You know, there's a lot of things that you know super irritated with him last year around a lot of things. You know, I really thought he didn't use challenges well. Uh, his out of bounds plays were awful. I mean, I even. I even checked him tonight. I said, uh, the Cavs got a dunk off a baseline out of bounds play on it. And I'm like, that's amazing. That's like, we're through the looking glass, people. Like, <laughs> this never happens to the Cavs. It's always turnovers. So, I mean, J.B. Bickerstaff just managing these guys, like Kevin Love, slow and steady, not gonna like bury the guy for having a, you know, a bunch of frustrations last season. You know, Chetty Osman has managed him super well. Um, just so many guys have improved under him. And I I mean, to me, he has to be in a serious conversation for coach of the year. Oh, yeah. I mean, at this point, no no question. I mean, what were the Cavs projected to win? Like another 20 games? Just like the Yeah, the over-under was at 27. Yeah. Um, uh, and they're gonna, they're gonna and we had to talk ourselves into the over in the in the preseason pods. And the other thing that I wanted to just talk about was a little bit what we talked about the culture of the Cavs. Um, and one thing that really stuck out to me was Kevin Love in, you know, they got that LeBron James barbershop show that they do on it's either Cinemax or HBO. And, and Kevin Love seems like he's on there like once a season as as. The token Caucasian, um, or one of one of the guys that is, you know, uh, uh, looks different from most of the other guys on there, uh, and he said he absolutely would not say a bad word about the Cavaliers organization. He said, "I'll I'll die for that organization. They have been nothing but good to me, 
and ha- did not have a bad word to say about them despite all the frustrations of the previous seasons. And I really was surprised by that. And I think we're seeing that this year that, you know, when you treat people with kindness and respect, you get it back from them. And that's really cool to see. And I had a question for you guys because we kind of talked about this before we started. And, you know, now that uh, we're a little bit into the podcast, I want you guys each to, you know, give me a metaphor or a comparison of, of kind of what this Cavs team is and and what do you think what do they remind you of you know j- just give me give me an image or a or a tale you know uh a narrative if you will uh, and we're just going to start with Chris Lydon what what tell me what this Cavs team is what do the Cuban Cavaliers mean to you <laughs> well I'm going to go right ahead and say that they are they embody the Christmas spirit I'm going to go right there, but it really applies to any of the, uh, the winter holidays because they are the ghost of Christmas <laughs> present. <laughs> they really, well, the, yeah, I mean, you know, this is a, this is a big surprise and it's not just for Clevelanders or Cleveland fans or Cavs fans, uh, but people that like good basketball, you know, just to have the chance to see the way that they're doing this and how they're doing it. You know, the vibes are excellent. They've got probably the best vibes in the league, as far as I can tell. Um, you know, and and all of the stuff I was saying before about, like, taking their pressers seriously and and there not being a lot of platitudes mixed in there, you know. It, it, it's, it's, it's like big positive energy. I think it's a, it's been a rare thing, especially recently in our world. Um but yeah, it's, it's just like, it's just like a, it's such a nice little bonus, you know, it's like a, a nice little positive surprise. You know, It's a Christmas miracle. It is. It's a little bit of a Christmas miracle and it's, it's very enjoyable. I know you guys, uh, much like myself have watched a lot of bad Cavs basketball. And when I was hearing the Cavs organization talking about like, oh, uh, LeBron left and we're going to sign Kevin Love and in, in front of all the hard hats and we're going to like, we're going to be a playoff team and then okay we fired the coach and blah blah, blah. we're still gonna be a playoff team like that's what we're building and, the, and then they hired john beeline and yeah tons of missteps right but there was still this inkling of like we're trying to build something we know it's not good yet but it's going to be good like their messaging is really consistent to all of that and we're getting the uh the the often mocked uh, letters from the desk of Kobe altman which i also love it reminds me of the fireside chats of yesteryear. It's very Christmas. <laughs> Those are so bad, dude. That was the worst. How could you? I mean, you just they like them great. out of irony, like uh, no, ironically no, no, good. No, no, I like them past wow. irony, past irony, back into sincerity, and just think like that they're wow. cool and and I love and it. They, I love they this are take. Very, You've already changed very my cringe. mind. They're very like your cringy. Sin- your sincerity has already changed my mind. It I is. know it's I'm like a fan. They're so sincere. It's just like, oh, I better get my pen and pen a letter to the fans of the team because we're doing you so. Warmed well. this old <laughs> Scrooge's heart. Exactly. Exactly. It's wonderful. It it it's it's very Christmassy, and I appreciate that. You know, it's funny. I was actually drinking last week. Um, I had a fireside chat. 21st Amendment beer. So so maybe there's something to that. Did you have anything else to add, uh, Mr. Lydon? No, I think that's it. <laughs> You've been heckled enough. Is that what you <laughs> I have say? been, yeah. No, I, I'll, I'll let my point stand. 
Yeah. Uh, what about you, Chris Francis? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, of, I'm of two minds right now because the the media reaction about the metaphor I wanted to use was, and I'll use it in jest, is it's communist basketball at its purest is what the Cavs are doing. That's that's the joke is that there's no star. They're all just balling. They all play their roles. They all just don't care about the accolades. They don't care about literally anything other than the team winning the game. And that's literally all they care about. It's weird. It's all and and also it's crazy that they've it's like also the analytics revolution full blown on top of that because they're going with three seven footers on the front court that nobody can deal with because of that like they just start uh fully embracing the idea that length equals defense so they capitalized on a market inefficiency yeah so it's just or, or uh, efficiency if you will yeah it, it's just a convolution of like weird things that are just like happening with the cast that are awesome but it's and it's working but like you know it's defying all conventions because you know everybody says you got to have two or three stars you've got to have the guy that you can go to in isolation basketball in the playoffs and i guess we'll find out like what this team can do uh, should they make the playoffs. So that'll be really interesting, but it's just going to be, you know, it's, they're just doing something that, uh, is quite unusual in the NBA landscape today. You know, who loves the, uh, letters from the desk of Kobe Altman is my nine-year-old. And you know, yes, but hold on. You know what else my nine-year-old thinks about basketball? <laughs> that tall guys are good at basketball. <laughs> I don't right. think he's wrong on either of those fronts. <laughs> Big if true. <laughs> Tom, what about you? What uh, I know you had some thoughts. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I really got two as well. I, I was before, I'd say two weeks ago, this team really reminded me of um, the Fratello Cavs. So I was young then. And, you know, my what, two was, weeks ago or when the Fratello Cavs were around? But when the Fratello Cavs were around, so I, <laughs> I was heartbroken when I found out the Cavs traded Mark Price. But um, the Fratello Cavs were fun. They they played an egalitarian style. Terrell Brandon was their best player, and he was the guy that bailed them out in a lot of half court sets, a la Garland. He could kind of kind of shoot or dish from anywhere. He was still a pure point guard, but I mean he could fill it up. Um. And Bob, they Bobby were, Sura. They had, well, they had Chris Mills, um, Bobby Phils. Bobby, Bobby Sura came off the bench. They had Tyrone Hill. They had, um, uh, and then when they got the rookies, they had um, Cedric well, Henderson. Then they had Dan Marley. Thunder. Oh Dan, yeah, Thunder uh, Dan was kind of in that Kevin Love role, like a yeah. And his back was his, so bad he couldn't practice. Prime veteran that could that could hit some threes, and then they got Wesley Person. So the similarities were in the fact that they were balanced. So you got a lot of scoring from a lot of players. Um, Danny Ferry was still on that team. You had you could have six or seven guys with double digits every given night. Um, they played well as a team, and they defended well, especially in the half court. And that was kind of where the similarities ended because that team, Tyrone Hill was like 6'8", and he was playing center. I mean, they were so undersized. <laughs> Terrell Brandon was 5'11". He was actually smaller than Mark Price. 
They were it, they were just wow. incredibly undersized, and so they played good team defense. You know, they all helped each other. And the current Cavs, um, obviously, they are not undersized at all. But there are some similarities in that Garland reminds me a little bit of Terrell Brandon, and the fact that the they do play really good team defense. They communicate, they fight through screens, and with the Cavs. You know, any deficiencies that they have guarding the perimeter, which, I mean, they've defended it like a sieve basically since 2009, I would argue, um, with the exception of the 2016 finals where Kyrie decided to try and, and Delhi got some run. But um, now they, they communicate well, they fight through screens, and it doesn't matter if uh, a ball handler kind of can break down a, a little bit at the point of attack because... Allen and Mobley are legit. Like both of those guys are top ten defenders at the big positions right now. Um, they they can recover so quickly. They don't foul. It's just funny watching teams try to like back those guys down periodically because that's going to get blocked, no question. Or, or ISO on those guys, and then oh. it's just like, yeah, well, I'm just going to back up just enough so you can't shoot over me, and you're not going to get around me. Oh, and if you do, there's another seven footer there. Yeah, and, and I liked what Chris was just saying, how the Cavs are going against a lot of conventional wisdom. That's been that's been fun for me to watch. I've I'll be honest, like the the Yana, the, the NBA finals last year kind of salvaged my fandom. I was so down on the league, on the sport. I just couldn't I couldn't for a variety of reasons, but you know, the thing that'll always bring you back is is the is the game itself. And I just couldn't stomach watching the style, the aesthetics, it just drove me crazy. And then I watched that finals and I just loved how the refs swallowed their whistles. They let those teams play. I loved the style from both teams. And now I, I just absolutely can't say enough good things about the rule changes they've made. And you watch this cast team that last year you would have laughed and said, you know, how the heck is a team going to not get run off the floor with three seven footers on the floor? Right, two of which aren't three-point threats. Although you know, who knows? Mobley may be a three-point threat, but Jared Allen certainly isn't. And you wouldn't think a rookie in Mobley would be. Um, it's just, yeah, they're 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 kind of. I market inefficiency might be the right way to look at it. But Ricky Rubio, you know, I mean, I I hated losing Larry Nance Jr. and I wasn't a huge fan of the Rubio signing, and you know, because it's just like, oh, can you really be? a positive uh, point guard if you can't, you know, go Trey Young on everyone and be knocking down 40-foot threes all day long if you're kind of a – I just thought the Rajon Rondo model was kind of dead. And now I'm watching Rubio and I'm like, no, the way this team plays, um, they can beat anyone every given night. And by the way, they're blowing teams out. Like, they're, they're a good team because mediocre teams don't – consistently blow opponents out. I, I that this doesn't happen. I mean they're a playoff team if only for the fact that non-playoff teams don't win by 20 30 points like every night like we're seeing by the Cavs. So um yeah for a while there I was going with oh they remind me of the you know the Cavs from the mid-aughts or the the mid-90s with Fratello but that team did not have much of a ceiling at all. I mean they they grinded to 40 wins. This team has much more athleticism. They're much longer. They're younger. They have a higher ceiling. And so sometimes when I watch them, I actually think back to the 2014 Spurs, who were a 
Ooh, pretty, I like pretty good. They were a pretty good team throughout the year. And then they just took it to another level in the playoffs. And they put on an absolute clinic that's underappreciated today. Because that Heat team in 2014 was still a really darn good team. And they got waxed. I mean, it was a gentleman's sweep, 4-1. And I still remember um, Man Boobs. Uh, what, was his, what was his actual name? Boris Diaw. Boris Diaw. <laughs> Man Boobs. He couldn't get off the bench for the, for the Charlotte Bobcats. He couldn't get off the bench for them. And the Spurs <laughs> bought him out. And he was like a key cog, you know, in, in that finals run. Remember that play where uh, it was him and and Duncan in like high post, low post, and they're just like playing a passing drill to each other. And DL's getting all these weird layups off of these feeds that are coming from the post. It was it was like it was like watching a game in the eighties. Just the passing, everyone catching the ball and being a triple threat at all times. And yeah, they had they had one stud and Kawhi Leonard. And then, you know, they had a lot of guys that were no longer all-stars. You know, the big three of the Spurs in 2014 were all within a couple years of retirement. They were not at, you know, 2005, 2007 like um, ability. Yeah, peak, yeah, but peak levels. No, but the way they passed the ball mm-hmm. and their spacing and their game plan and the way they could beat you in a lot of different ways, just they just totally ran the... Ran the heat off the court. LeBron said, you know, either after that series or a week after that series, that was the best offense he's ever faced in his career. And I think he was probably telling the truth there, at least up until they, you know, he went against the the Warriors, you know, a couple of years yeah. later. So doesn't I'm not saying we're gonna win the title this year. I'm saying the way I watch them pass the ball to each other, the way they seem to feed off of each other. Um, they're balanced, you know, and they do have, I think Garland is, a, well, Garland and, and Jared Allen are, are all-stars right now. I mean, these guys are studs. So yeah. those are, those are kind of my comps. Well, let me yeah. give you some well, credit. Wait, 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 well, wait. So, um, hold on before you get into that, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs, the podcast. And I want to give uh, veteran podcaster and writer and editor, Tom Pestak. Um, uh, emer- emeritus, here. emeritus, yes, thawed, thawed from the from the freezer. Uh, some fossilized, for, <laughs> some credit for the Terrell Brandon Darius Garland uh, comparison you made earlier. Because I, as soon as you mentioned it, I pu- I pulled up the comparison on a on a Basketball Reference, and uh, they are pretty similar players. Now, of course. Terrell Brandon has a, a storied career, right? And so his career numbers are going to edge out Darius Garland's. But when you look at just this last, uh, this current season for Darius and Terrell, uh, he's he's really showing him up kind of across the board. But I think it's interesting, like even their, um, uh, let's see here. Yeah, like some of their base stats and like per 100 are really similar, but like the offensive rating for Terrell Brandon his career is 110 and he was a 105 defensive rating, which pretty good. Like that's a, that's a, that's a guy that probably doesn't get as much credit as he should for really playing well at that position. Darius Garland's at 102 offensive rating and then 116 defensive rating, which I would not have thought like even. Well, yeah, but that's a career number. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a career number, but like they're, 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 they're quite similar. So, so bravo on that. 
He's yeah, still thanks. there. Well, one one of the one of the no- things that I noticed was, you know how there's some players that, in order to feel comfortable collecting, in order to shoot, they just they can't have a guy in their face. You know, they need to get around a screen, or they need to just be wide opened, or they need to do some kind of crossover so that. They, they just, you know, I mean, Kobe was a good example. You could have a hand on like an inch away from his nose and he was firing away. You know, it didn't, the defense didn't really affect him so much. That was how Terrell Brandon was. It was like guys could really be in his shorts and he would just elevate and just, you know, quick, quick, quick trigger, just shoot over you. Um, he didn't, he didn't necessarily need crazy amounts of screens and, and space and all kinds of things in order to fire away. And, you know, Garland uh, reminds me of that. Like, he's got so many different ways that he can get a shot off. He's got, um, now this year, he's really added this devastating kind of floater game. He can do that with the left hand even. Um, but, and he, you know, he throws that floater in even from the baseline, which is rare. Yeah, yeah that, that is with wild. either hand. He can do it with either hand as well. So, yep. yeah, Garland is not – he doesn't seem to get affected that much, you know, by the, the defensive uh, space that he's given, which reminds me of Brandon. Because you see so many point guards and it's like, oh, yeah, they'll just they'll just pick up a high screen and they'll get a little bit of shredded daylight and they'll fire away. And then you get these other guys that they can be in ISO situations. And, you know, how many of those point guards in ISO situations are like, ah, you know what, I'm just going to pull up, you know. I mean, you see guys that are seven foot, you know, just decide, I'm just going to shoot. But you don't see that as much from these, you know, six foot two, six foot three, six foot one guys. But I see that from Garland. That's how Terrell Brandon played. Didn't matter where he was on the court. Didn't matter who was defending him. If they needed to get a shot off, um, he was always looking to pass, but he was a great, you know, safety valve for them, for that offense in the same way that uh, he hit a lot of contested shots. And I see that with Garland as well, which I think that's super important because you get into the playoffs, defenses tighten up. The Cavs are a hard team to game plan for because there's, like you said, the variance in the usage, uh, the egalitarian offense. They, they try so hard in a league that, you know, you got people uh, in chill mode or resting or whatever, the Cavs are a tough team to game plan for. In the playoffs, it's not that hard to game plan. You know all the plays your opponent play. You know, it really comes down to execution and talent. And so having a guy that can hit contested shots is really important um, in the playoffs. And that's why I'm glad, you know, for what we're seeing out of Garland this year. And it's thank you for coming thing. to uh, Tom's TED Talk. <laughs> no, it's, I was just going to say it's a it's a generational thing too. Like what what Brandon was doing then was super rare. A guy like Garland grew up watching, you know, Kobe, uh, probably probably Steph to some extent, right? Like I'm Kyrie, sure Steph, yeah, yeah, Kyrie. Like like th- that's it's a different sort of like norm of what you've watched you know, play out in NBA games as you're growing up as a super talented young person. And so, yeah, he's got it. And it's, it's, it's made a huge difference this year. Absolutely. Yeah. And his passing has been off the charts this year. I mean, he has mastered so many different passes, you know, the look away, feeding the post really quick. Um, One of the things that I love that you're seeing the LeBron snap pass to the corner where that guy has like got an inch of daylight for a shot and he just instantly fires it right into the shooting pocket. And hey, that's an easy assist to, you know, if, a, if you've got a, you know, Chetty Osmond on a heater. 
or something like that. It's it's totally that's how you get easy assists and easy baskets is those kind of passes. But I'm going to go now and give kind of my metaphor for this team and it's what if you had a team made entirely of glue guys and that's what this team is. It's a team entirely of glue guys. Like Jared Allen probably on oops, sorry. Jared Allen on most other teams doesn't make a lot of sense. Like he's not a guy who goes outside a lot. He is you know, I don't know if you ever watched Brandon Wright for the Mavs, what is a basically a guy that would only finish lobs and, you know, just point blank dunk shots around the basket. Well, that is Jared Allen, but he also, hey, is a pretty good post player and finisher. Pretty nice passer, and oh, he can guard one through five fairly effectively. Um, really good switch defender. You know, you've got all these guys. You got like Lori Markinen, who we haven't even talked about tonight, who is such a glue guy for them at the three because he is a competent enough defender that teams just can't go and ISO and mismatch on him. And oh, he can kind of take what the defense gives him, whether they put a small guy on him, they can go to the post. If they go zone, he can, you know, be in that zone buster role on the in the corners or on the wing or running the baseline like Kevin Love did the other night. Um, you know, you got Darius Garland, very much a glue guy point guard who, if you leave him open, he's going to shoot. If you, um, which he did tonight, if you take that away and double him, he's going to pass and make the easy pass and, you know, uh, hit uh, the short roller, and the short roller is going to make the right play. Um, yeah. Who, who else do they have? That uh, Isaac Okoro is just. I'm going to go guard that guy's best perimeter, best perimeter score. And if that doesn't, uh, if I get beat, so be it. You know, but I'm going to get in his grill. Uh, you got Ricky Rubio, who's the ultimate kind of team point guard. Um, they're just. So, and you know Evan Mobley Davis was, Davis has been good in his minutes and Ed Davis Walker. oh yeah yeah <laughs> I I saw the I don't know if you saw the uh, the tweet I put up tonight but who would win in a team of Ed Davis's versus a team of Tristan Thompson's and <laughs> and the answer was uh, Tristan Thompson but he'd probably cheat <laughs> if you take out garbage time Davis has a block per game pretty much wow. Davis wow. was a Rapham, uh, Rapham uh, all star. Yeah, he was, was he? I don't know if he was an all star. Oh, I didn't but know that. He was. He was uh, someone in the. Yeah, when we were doing that in like 2013, we pointed him out yeah. as a. Yeah, guy and that, he's such a great guy because you can basically winter soldier him, where you leave him on the bench for two weeks and let his poor old ligaments heal, and then oh, you need him for a game like tonight when he got somebody hurt, and you just you know. Thaw him out. <laughs> All right. So, well, Nate, Nate, your thing is what, what you started this off by saying. It's a team full did? of glue guys. Yeah. So, you know? can you do it in the 30 for 30 voice? What if I told you? What if I told you there was a glue, team made of glue bonds <laughs> well, to glue? <laughs> well, Nate, if I told you, what if I told you that Brandon Wright spelled his name A N, which is really strange? <laughs> what if I told you? Can you can you just start doing the the thirty for thirty just to add some drama? What if I because told you that Tower City wasn't just a name, wasn't just a place; it was a belief. 
Oh, there it is. There it is. All right. Tower City. It's a belief. That's the tagline for this pod. The burning blue factory flames on the edge of Highway 77 were producing glue 24 7 let me riff off your uh analogy and make a make a second yeah. analogy well and I, before I before i finish so one thing i want to say the the team they remind me of is the uh herculoids from that weird bench unit the Cavs had when they had um, oh God, Sean Livingston, Luke, Luke Walton, Sean Livingston, Maurice Spates, and Wayne and, Ellington, and Wayne Ellington, and three of those guys ended up in Golden State, were in a big part of that Golden State culture that yep. you know went to five straight finals. So, uh, riff there, Chris Lydon. Yes. So I've got another analogy: Revenge of the Nerds. So I think that there might be like an intentional thread through this where this front office said, we're going to draft guys that are hard workers, that are nerdy, like kind of introverted, uh, you know, like not splashy people, not ego-driven basketball players. And this slowly played out over the last potentially four drafts and has somehow resulted in an, in an intentional, and as uh, Chris Francis was saying, sort of analytics-driven idea that has come to fruition. I think this is maybe the most rosy way to view the team building at this point, but I I have What if I told you inaccurate. nice guys don't always finish last? But here's <laughs> oh, yes, that's for all of Here's it. a team that, that proves that nice guys maybe can finish fourth in the Eastern Conference. Fourth in SRS in the whole NBA. That's Boom. true. That's right. I mean, but th- but isn't I mean maybe that's a thing. Like I wonder what you guys think. Like if this was luck or intention. I know we had this conversation. Well, a few it, weeks if ago, it's but true, Nate wasn't here. Big if true, and if true, it gives more credence to casting off Porter Jr. Because that to me just seemed like yes. I, I just had flashbacks to. I'm all for culture, but at the same time, I remember when the Browns after. The Kellen Winslow, Braylon Edwards years decided, you know, what we really need to be successful. We need high character guys. And so they went out and drafted Brian Rubisky in the second round because he was a coach's <laughs> son. He was a high character guy and he had good hands and he ran good routes, et cetera, et cetera. And the guy could never get opened. And they just weren't any good. I like I like I like the I like the sentiment, you know, like I hire good people for the, all those same reasons. They make good teammates, you know, they deal with adversity well they pick each other up well they become more than the sum of their parts but i think in pro sports sometimes you know unfortunately it's a lot easier it's a lot easier Unfortunately, knuckleheads do if they have a lot of talent you know they can really help you well and basketball is also one of those sports where you you know there's only five guys on the port on the floor at once so the best guy on your squad has an outsized influence over kind of anything other than a quarterback in football yeah and there's also there's also like some direct evidence for this, right? Like, I mean, they, they talk about how Jared Allen like fixes the computers of the broadcast guys' wives when they buy them. Like the the dudes at the that's awesome. Iron. He's like yeah, a like squad guy. One of his hobbies. Let's just hope he is computers. Literally, that's like his biggest hobby. These guys are like firing up their Nintendo switches and playing Yu Gi Oh. As long as he room. is not. Oh, that's that's awesome. As long as he is not repairing drones during the playoffs. No, oh, man. <laughs> no, yes. he won't be. But, but no, like, there is that evidence, like, just the, the proof in the pudding of, like, 
even if it wasn't intentional, even if this was luck on, on the part of the organization, they still assembled a bunch of people. And then let's not forget that having this kind of uh, roster helps a lot in the times of COVID. Cause I don't think any, any, like anything I've seen on social media, like these players, like they go to charity events with masks on, they go to uh, charge games. Like a lot of the starters go to almost every charge game and just hang out and watch. Like these are not like the kind of people that are putting themselves in risky situations at all. Yeah, they're all nerds and hoop junkies. And but yeah, and they're us. That's where the comes in. I'm sure it's part of why I'm I'm having so much fun watching them. Right as an as a bona fide nerd myself. But either way, like you know, it, it it's great. It's great to see. Yeah. So no, I mean, and- I, I was going to say just to piggyback off of that is that I think the thing is is like with Mobley and Darius Garland and Jared Allen, the three best guys on the team or whatever, they're also happen to be the most unselfish players, you know, that you can possibly have in the game of basketball. I think that's like the thing is that like kind of like what Tom was alluding to with talent, you need talent, you know, you need guys that can actually ball. And obviously Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and DGR all qualified. They fit that thing. But like at, at their core in the basketball sense, they're unselfish guys. They're not just looking. They all want to win. That's the that's the common denominators. They don't care about putting up their own numbers. They just care about does the team win, you know, and that hyper focus on winning is just I mean, obviously, that's what's uh, allowing them to dominate uh, teams now, you know, without I mean, without really dominating themselves, you know, like they're not really dominating the ball or anything like that. They're just playing the game right and dominating. And all I can think of is uh, the hangover when uh, it was, and we're the three best friends that anybody ever had. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast, the second hour of Cavs the Podcast. We got Chris Francis, Chris Lydon, Tom Pestak, myself. Uh, just been a super fun uh, holiday podcast hour so far. And, you know, one of the things that I know you want to talk about, Chris Francis, is what does the future hold for this team? And I, I think a lot of what we were just talking about in the last, you know, 15 minutes about, you know, we don't want to screw up the chemistry of this team and we are just loving the kind of lightning in the bottle once in a lifetime uh, moment with this team of a team with no expectations on the rise, just suddenly becoming better than the sum of their parts and better than, you know, in, in the words of Ted Lasso, better than anyone thought they could be. Um, you know, what happens to this team? What happens to Colin Sexton? Do they make a move this year? Do you try to capitalize or you just ride the wave? Uh, it's a great, I mean, it's a great question, Nate. The thing of it is, is that, you know, I was a big advocate beginning for starting a Coro because of fit, you know, not because he was necessarily better than Colin Sexton as a basketball player, but just that he fit the overall team construct and the lineup construct better as a role player than as like an isolation scorer that, um, and ball dominant isolation scorer that uh, Colin Sexton is. Um, and now that we have, you know, 15 games of data, 16 games of data, and basically, you know, a Coro for all his faults, you know, and all the, all the, um, 
struggles on offense and being ignored and everything like that. And, you know, in the resurgence, uh, in spite of all that, he's put up a lot better team numbers and on off numbers than Colin Sexton ever did as Sexton, you know, and Sexton was an unmitigated disaster and it always has been. There's never been any proof that it's actually ever worked. You know, so now with Okoro's I, I will take a bit of exception with you there because there was that, mm-hmm. you know, brief moment at the beginning of last season when they were starting Nance and Drummond and Love. Both guys, no, that's both guys that are not on the team anymore. Yeah. Well, no, but I'm saying yeah. it was very much a precursor to the current Tower City lineup sure, of sure. where they're yeah. starting three no, that's bigs. totally fair. Yeah, it's totally um, fair. And, and that did work for... You know, weren't they nine and nine in that stretch or nine and yeah. 11, I think? Yeah. Um, you know, that did work for a minute and we never really got to see very long of Tower City and Sexland, which, you know, isn't a great combination, you know, just, you know, I- image wise. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it kind of remains to be seen. But that I'll just interject with that and you keep yeah. going. Well, I mean, from what we know so far, it hasn't been very good. I mean, it's they've been a net negative. Um, uh, they were a net ten, net ten negative, net negative ten this year. Um, so, and whereas Okoro and DG have been a net positive plus six, and probably a lot better after tonight. Um, so the question is, well, and that's the weird thing about luck versus design is that. Colin Sexton was starting the season. You know, it was not Okoro that was starting. And so I have no idea. I mean, like the as far as what to do with Colin Sexton, it seems obvious now that here's the opportunity that the organization has to like move him into a six-man role, which is what a lot of people, you know, that have observed Cavs basketball, you know, believe about Colin Sexton because of his ball dominance, because of his isolation score. Uh, you know, that he could be the ideal six man Jordan Clarkson type deal, you know, off the bench, you know, so here's this opportunity they have. The question is, I don't, and it remains to be seen, are they going to take it, you know, and try to move him into a bench role? Is he going to be accepting, you know, cause you just brought up the, the um, free agency factor. He could walk, you know, if he's not satisfied with the answer the Cavs give. So um, to me, it's a, uh, it's a wild thing that it's, you know, that was a luck based thing, in my opinion, as far as the Cavs success this season, you know, the unfortunate, it's super unfortunate. It took an injury, but, uh, you know, the team has kind of taken off since, uh, Sexton's been out. Yeah. And the, like the, the Cavs already tried to reach an agreement with it. I won't even say it's Colin, but like his representation, uh, to try to do an extension earlier. And what was reported was that he was looking for like max money for being the, the best scorer on a bad basketball team. Like that's what they were looking for. Right. So I think that the fact that they did not get that done means that they are looking for the market on restricted free agency to try to set an actual number for him on what's happening with that. Right. Now, he also has to have that buy-in because many players have already talked about that the the sort of buy-in to the system is what's driving the success of this team. And he's, you know, probably going to be a a six-man guy. Like, I I really do think that. I don't think that there's any future in a a Sexland pairing as starters. And so I think it is interesting to look at, like, what that sort of number would be. 
uh, like a sort of a Clarkson-esque number, like 14, 13 million a year, you know, like, and if he's going to do that, he will. And if he doesn't want to do that, then he can go to a different team and probably get a similar contract. Um, but I don't see the impact for him on this team. I mean, I mean, that's interesting because, you know, you talked about earlier from the desk of Kobe Altman, you know, very much Kobe Altman sent a letter earlier this year, a, a fireside chat, if you will, that I'm sure <laughs> you read lovingly to your to your young son um, about how Colin Sexton is part of the future of this team and how that uh, they value him and he's kind of fully bought in. And the one thing I'll say about Colin Sexton, we all, you know, have our quibbles with his game on the floor. But no one's ever said a bad word about the guy in the locker room, that he doesn't work his tail off, that he's entitled or anything like that. Well, um, uh, I mean, some, somebody did. I mean, there were people. <laughs> <laughs> there were, there were, I mean, there, there, we, there we got an entire national media cycle about how uh, that wasn't true. Um, fair. <laughs> Tom, um, Tom, I'm taking your role on. Unrazzing made here. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to grow as the Chris faction of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I support, I support nice. this because I, I won't always be able to be here. So, <laughs> <laughs> my little guy's all grown up. <laughs> oh, oh my god! But I mean, I, I have not seen that, and we've only ever heard one account. And you know, even Kevin Love, who he clearly drove nuts on the court. I never heard him say a bad word about the guy, um, you know, and I think a lot of it was, you know, just rookie stuff. But, you know, there's still a lot of stuff that drives me nuts about his game. I was really surprised at how bad his shot looked um, when we came back from COVID. And, you know, it was it seemed worse. Uh, it seemed like his windup was longer and uh, he really couldn't shoot off the dribble still. Um you know, problems there. Still not a great defender. Um, I I really think that is in the Cavs' best interest to look at moving him now where his $8 million salary can kind of be aggregated with some other guys to maybe bring in a guy that makes, you know, 10 to $12 million and can really help this Cavs team now and maybe the Cavs get another first-round draft pick for Colin Sexton, you know, that that's kind of my take on the situation. I I don't think I honestly think the Cavs have Colin Sexton's played his last game at least in this iteration in a Cavs uniform. And I actually kind of thought that when he walked off the court when he got hurt. Yeah, because I, was I remember like, when you said that, Nate. It, it, I was like, that is a weird industry, and it doesn't look right the way he's walking off the court. And you know, honestly, kind of reminded me of. When I had my knee injury, is like I could walk off, but I didn't feel right. So I don't know. Um, I I think the Cavs need one more ball handler. I think the way they're playing Rubio and Garland isn't sustainable. Um, I would like to see him get one more big guard, but they don't seem to be inclined to do that right now. So I don't know what the answer is there. I don't know. Anybody else got any thoughts? I mean, I think you're right on. I think the ideal outcome for the Sexton situation is that he embraces a six-man role, sees it as an opportunity to uh, grow his game on the ball, for instance, and also kind of direct the offense himself, you know, have full control of the, what's going on on the court as he usually wants. 
and, uh, you know, and accepts that six man role off the bench, you know, with a, a, like a two year contract, you know, just to prove to everybody he's healthy and, uh, you know, that he's a team player and then get back out into the market after he plays some ball, you know? So I that, think that might be the way to go. Yeah. I think a lot of that also depends on what happens with Ricky Rubio because he's been exactly. Such, I agree, hundred percent. Yep, such a catalyst for this team. You hate to yep. see him walk away, exactly. just given what we've seen through a third of the season. So, hundred percent agree. Uh, a- any other thoughts to add, Chris Lydon or Tom Pastek on what we kind of might see from the Cavs the rest of the way? You know, I think one of the big dominoes to fall is coming up on. Uh, December 21st of when players signed in the offseason can be traded. Yeah, I think I think it's worth thinking about the number on uh, what what it would look like with Sexton coming back and being a, a sixth man, right? So I'm thinking like 50 to 60 four year, you know, like that's like putting you into the 13 to 15 million dollar range, you know, and I think that's, that life, that's, that's life changing money. It is. It's going to almost double his current salary. And I think that's what the market will probably end up proving there. Now, somebody might overpay for him, and that, that, that'll be just what it is. But, um, yeah, I think that's I, that's I have worth, a hard time seeing that. Yeah. I, I honestly think the Cavs' success this year has kind of hurt his market value that he's not playing. Um, and that he's an undersized, you know, shooting guard right now, which... yeah. Would have worked really well before this rule change, but literally the most foul-seeking player on the Cavs last season was Colin Sexton, and he got to the line a lot, and we saw him struggle early in the season when they weren't calling a lot of his pet fouls. So, it, Yeah, and I wonder if there's, a market, if there's a market for him as a starting two guard somewhere. I'm not sure that there is much. I, I mean, there could be. It would have to be a location where they don't have where they have a bigger point guard, you know, the Spurs come to mind. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's tough to see that get filled. Um, so I don't know what happens. Anyone else? I think it's dad talk time, isn't it? it is well, it before time? that? Well, no, Tom, that. Tom's got a defense, a defense for Sexton, uh, right? Oh, no, that's you. Yeah. So Sexton is a guy that if the team around him is good, I think he could be a positive. I think when you're asking him to do a lot, his defensive liabilities and his tunnel vision, you know, that's why all of his plus minus numbers look bad. And then occasionally he just pops off and wins the game by himself. And it's, but I think if you take a guy like that and you, you know, you use him in a way where you're, um, you know, you're, you're, you're accentuating his strengths. And you don't need to rely on a lot of minutes. You don't need him to get to 100 points, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's not unlike what we're seeing now with some other Cavs. I mean, Kevin Love couldn't stay on the floor. And now they got him in this six-man role. And, yeah, every once in a while, he looks like a traffic cone and a guy drives by him. But you know what? The Cavs got three, two, three, seven-footers, you know, at the rim. So you can live with that if he's going to go six to six from three-point land. I think that um, obviously the contract is key, but I do think Sexton's um, you know, individual offensive abilities could be an asset. I think especially, like I was kind of alluding to before, I think right now the Cavs are really hard to game plan for. And um, that doesn't necessarily mean that if teams 
like we get to the playoffs are trying really hard to game plan for them. They can't figure out certain ways to to limit some of what the Cavs are doing. Um, maybe some of these lobs, some of these weak side action, things like that. So having a guy that just can get you buckets. So I was all about the analytics all through the mid-aughts. I was a John Hollinger disciple. Um, I was against, you know, uh, I was, you know, pro LeBron, anti Kobe. I was against volume shooting in general. To me, this uh, sort of conventional wisdom that you know, you know what I was thinking about tonight, Tom, was what? that article you wrote was uh, about Kevin Love. Kevin Love is fitting in much more than you know, your notion of what Kevin Love should be doing to fit. Do you remember that article? I do. I, I do remember writing it now. But, yeah, remind me what <laughs> – was it sort of like he was doing a lot of little things? And- well, it was all like when Kevin Love is on the floor, the Cavs are amazing. His individual numbers might not be that great, but, man, do the Cavs look good when Kevin Love is on the floor because well, of what he brings. Well, that was the same with Delhi. That was like Delhi. It was the same way that for, you know, 2015, the Cavs – Plus minus was just eye popping, and yet that was back when Vine was at its kind of um, you know R.I.P. Vine. Oh and, man! Oh my gosh! And Delhi was on the other end of a Vine like once a week, and it was always so bad, you know, because someone would just break his ankles, and you know we're all watching the Vine, you know, laughing at Delhi, and it kind of pissed me off because it's like that's for most fans that was their view of him was this awkward guy. That is a tryhard that, you know, these real ball players can so easily shake and then he ends up on his butt. And it's like, yeah, but what you didn't watch was the rest of the game where he was like plus 20 in like, you know, 22 minutes. Yeah. So, so I do the, remember the I do remember the name oh, of man, your was, article. I made I had a cottage industry. Yeah, the name the of your article, Tom, 15 years was Kevin Love is not fitting in parentheses. To your preconceived notions of Kevin Love fitting in, end parentheses, which was Man, that's, oh, a Michael nice. Scott. that's a Michael Scott headline right wow. there. Wow. That was one of my favorite article titles that's, in CTV history. <laughs> that's extremely meta of you, Tom. Like, yeah. you, you win, like, Mobius strip there. Yeah. Yeah, even longer than why I want LeBron to fail forever. <laughs> Long-ass long titles. Yeah, but no, I mean, going back to Sexton, I think clearly... They don't need his production, but I, I've uh, his 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 liabilities in our today's NBA where we do look at things. Oh, the point I was trying to make Nate, was I was leading the charge against volume shooting and against guys that looked good and guys that could you know get you twenty. To me, it was empty. I cared about the no stats all stars, right? I mean, I was all. Yeah, you'd rather game. look bad and win than look good and lose. In but the, here's the uh, thing, like in I the don't parlance know. of white men can't jump. Okay, keep going. Yeah, but I don't know that that narrative or, or that statistical model really holds in the playoffs because one of the one of my big kind of eye opening. Ooh, maybe I've been wrong about being so certain about this. Was you get eighty two games worth of data. And you can make some pretty strong, you know, statistical conclusions about certain things. And then you get to the playoffs and the sample size is way diminished and it's a different format and you're playing the same team every night and you don't get four games in five nights. And there's a lot of differences. And I just started, my eyes started telling me that the playoffs are a different game 
And then once I started watching chill mode and I watched the Cavs win like 44 games and still sweep the Raptors or something, you know, to get back to the NBA finals. LeBron. I I started questioning the statistical revolution because the statistical revolution in the NBA was all based on regular season stats. I started wondering how well is this actually predicting um, playoff stuff versus the old guard who would just say, oh, Kobe gets you buckets or this guy gets you buckets. I started seeing that, man, in the playoffs, it really does help in these half-court sets that break down to just have a guy that can get you a basket. And so that's where... You're absolutely right. That's where someone like Sexton, you know, we may miss him. If you get into a playoff series and, you know, all the pet plays the Cavs have and all the things that they do and a team just decides we're just going to take Garland away. Now, who's your next dynamic offensive player that's just going to create? Okay, before before you rebut, before you rebut, quick commercial break. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. And I again, I have a question for for Tom. We're talking about Colin Sexton and the future of the Cavs roster. And uh, how they can capitalize on this sudden hot run this season. So, do you think he can provide what you've been talking about uh, here, Tom, from the bench, or do you think he has to be a starter to to do the same thing? Because I, my 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 reasoning is that he can be that instant scorer, and that's the perfect role for a six man with his skills. Yeah, I think he has to come off the bench. I don't think you play him much with Garland. I think um, you use him in spot instances. I think on some nights he's going to play, you know, 30 minutes. On other nights he's going to play 11 minutes. I think that that would be the best way to utilize him. And so it might not work because he's young. He's going to want to get paid. And, you know, young guys that are trying to, you know, climb the ladder and get that, you know, that generational wealth. Um, there's a lot of motivations for him not to buy into something like that. Whereas a guy like Ricky Rubio, I mean, he at this point in his career, guy just wants to win. Um, and he's, you know, he's made a lot of money. He keeps making money. So I don't know if Sexton would go for it. Um, so you may be right in saying that, you know, he's played his last game as a Cav. I just think that while it was easy to focus over the last couple of years on all these losing seasons, on looking at Sexton as a guy that, you know, maybe it's a bit of a empty producer in that, yeah, you can fill up the statue a little bit, but is that really, it's not really translating into wins other than the occasional time where he just goes Nova, like he did against the Nets. Um, but I just kind of look at it a little differently in that he still does have some skills that are somewhat rare. And, you know, I used to think maybe his, he had a little bit of, um, Skills. Oh What's like? Who's the guy who went to Indiana? Wore the tux at the dunk contest. Now he's. Is he playing? No idea who is now. Who you're talking? Collison? No, because that was always the comp that Ben Worth had. Was no, 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 no. Darren um, Collison. No, he went to Indiana University. He was like a uh, number. Uh, Oladipo. Oladipo. Oladipo was the guy that I always thought you know Sexton could be. I don't know. Yeah, but, but he's like four inches taller. I know. I, I I just I just see sort of the 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 commentary and sort of the narrative, and I think people are. I don't want to say. I too no. I was going to say Tom that 
Yeah, I was going to say, Tom, that you're t- I, I see exactly where you're coming from, because what the supposedly what your eye test is saying uh, that's what your eye test is saying about the playoffs is and what other people have said is that, you know, in, a, in the regular season, guys aren't really going hard 48 minutes on defense and they don't know your plays, you know, just like you just said, like they're you know, you're just playing team after team. It doesn't really game plan or anything. But as soon as you can game plan soon as guys actually are trying to play defense for 48 minutes, then what happens is that basically you need guys to be able to hit mid-range tough shots is basically the shots that are afforded to you in a playoff series. And that's what Colin Sexton is. He's a tough shot maker, you know, so that's is where, he though? You know, I mean, I think that's a good question. That's a good I question. Yeah, I, think, I think so. I mean, also your pitch to him is to be playing on a bench an NBA bench that includes Ricky Rubio, Kevin Love, uh, Chetty Osman. You know, like this is not like a, a bench uh, that's that's very prototypical for how a lot of NBA benches have operated in the past. Like our bench unit right now is filled with super accomplished players. They're often outscoring opponent benches. They are often rivaling the the starters in in terms of how many points they're scoring like i feel like this is a good situation to come into saying like it's not so much it's like hockey shifts right like this is like a a second line first line situation where i think this is a a really good place to pitch to a player like sexton to say that like we're gonna play you 24 minutes and we're gonna challenge you to try to score a point a minute and give us a huge burst off the bench you know first off when I play NHL 95, I always turn line changes on. So, first <laughs> off, just chef's kiss there. Um, second, I just don't see it. Like, I don't think Colin Sexton hits tough shots. I just don't. I think he shoots a lot of lobs um, or flobs. Uh, a lot of floaters. You know, the Cavs last year were one of the team leaders in floaters. They don't shoot nearly as many this year because a floater, even a good floater, is around a 45% shot in, you know, the restricted area where really you want to shoot, um, you know, 55 to 60% at the rim or you want to shoot, you know, 35 to 40 plus percent from three. It's just not the gray shot plus. Colin Sexton also literally second in the league after Zion Williamson for the past at least two seasons and close to three uh, at getting his shot blocked uh, in the NBA. He just gets his shot blocked a lot. Part of that is the pro is the product of attacking the rack. Part of the fact is the fact that he's six one and doesn't know when he shouldn't be doing that stuff. I just have never seen him as a guy that hits a lot of sh- tough shots he hits a lot of easy shots because he is fast and he gets out on the break and it has a lot of runouts. Um, and, you know, he hits some, some flobs and he hits some uh, open catch-and-shoot three-pointers, but he's not a guy that can sh- hit shots off the dribble uh, from three-point line. If he does hit shots off the dribble, it's that, you know, step in from the three-point line right at the elbow. Not a super efficient shot for a 6-1 guard. I just don't see it as a guy that hits a lot of tough shots. I think he's also one of the worst transition 
Like, I've never seen a guy worse at running a multiplayer break than Colin Sexton for a guard. He consistently screws it up because he's always looking for his points, is not a great passer, gets tunnel vision, can't hit the next open guy. I just, I don't see it. Uh, and he can't, and he can't pass, and he can't pass, and he can't play defense, and his right. TPA is the lowest in his entire draft class. Yeah, I just don't see it. I love the dude. Um, if the Cavs could sign him for, you know, 10, 12 million, maybe I would think about it. I, we'll, I we'll pay just, a small market tax there. It would be like 13 or 14, I think. Yeah, but I just don't think, I think there is a lot to be said that the Cavs are successful right now because Colin Sexton isn't playing. So I'll, I'll die on that hill and disagree with the, the lot of you. <laughs> anyway, anybody got a rebuttal to that? Crickets. So, t- <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I, Mike I think dropped. I, I was just going to say that to put a bow on it is that outside of Steck, I think outside of Steck and the player, I think Tom is making a good point about playoff basketball. And I've heard it's, you know, I, that it's going to change and we're going to find out a lot about this team because how the, how the game changes, like the calls. You don't get any calls in the playoffs. You'll be able to play more physical defense. They're going to know your plays. So I think, you know, we'll, we'll, I think we'll see what we're missing with Sexton once the playoffs arrive. Uh, or if, you know, uh, or we might not if they make a trade, because I totally agree with you. I mean, this is the reason why you're advocating for trading for another guard. And it's exactly what we need to be successful in the playoffs, in my opinion, is we need an extra guard that just in case, because they're going to, I mean, we've seen over the course of this season how teams are now starting to take the ball out of Darius Garland's hands because he's such a good passer. He's such a good uh, shooter that they're just blitzing him, you know, 30 feet from the basket. And he's having to, you know, he's getting these beautiful rhythm passes to the roll guy. But it's going to, you know, when the playoffs happen, do you have a guy, uh, you know, on that weak side that can exploit that weak side advantage? So I, I think uh, Tom's point's well taken as far as how different the game is during playoff time. Yeah, I mean, I've just never seen that guy as a six first, six one score first guard. You know, we've seen it. Lou oh, Williams I agree with never, you, never uh, ever I, to I be that guy. You. So. And Lou Williams is, in the words of Ben Worth, a transcendent pick a role player, and, you know, Colin Sexton is not. So True, yeah, true, very true. So, I don't know. Um, but I, I don't know who that guy is So that the Cavs could bring in. And, you know, the Cavs are probably going to get their butts handed to him the first time they're in the playoffs, and that's okay because Evan Mobley is the future to me. Um, and that guy has got to be the guy that learns how to take and make the tough shots. And because to me, he has the highest ceiling. He has as high of a ceiling as anybody in the NBA right now. And we didn't get to have Tom Pestag talk about uh, uh, Mobley tonight. Obviously, he didn't play. So we'll have to get to that. But we're also getting a little long, long in the tooth. Yeah. Hey, Tom. Oh, man. He's going to put up. He's going to put us both in timeout, Nate. The. The OGs always go long in the tooth. <laughs> yeah, we always go long. Exactly. That's because your, your teeth don't stop growing. Anyway, what if Tom. I told you your teeth never stop growing. <laughs> That's actually not true. Your gums just recede when you die. 
That was dark. That was dark. That, 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 yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was good. That was good, Nate. (laughs) Tom, uh, do you have any, you know, crazy old man rants? Do we got any uh, stuff? No, I got, I got, I got, so so I'm like. Did anybody try to sell you any gutters lately? (laughs) No, no gutters. Um, but I've got a couple, you know, just like what what's going on in like the most boring person in the world's life. So what's a, the deal with hot glue guns? So so I'm basically, you know, like a manager, a mid-level manager, right? And so I hire and interact with interns. And every now and then, you know, interns just you kind of just assume that you know, they're just like normal professionals. And then you sort of forget like, oh, yeah, but they're actually pretty young. And, you know, they may not actually understand how everything works. And sometimes there's just funny things happen to them. And they don't really know how to respond to it because they just assume like, well, maybe this is just how, you know, the professional world works. You know, I don't know. And and, so, and to be fair, the last two years have probably been really hard on college students. They have been. They have been. So I, I've got a couple funny kind of intern stories and then i got i got like funny kind of local politics stories so intern stories um and i'm not gonna use any names because i got to protect the innocent and these are all good people so i anything i say to kind of make fun is just 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 to have fun for our little beach community. you're not laughing at them you're delighting in them exactly so so one intern, <laughs> i generally this was pre-covid i generally would meet people at a at a, at a local coffee shop and the first thing I do is you know, offer to get him a drink. You know, they got coffee, they got smoothies, they got tea, whatever. So I asked this young guy, I'm like, hey, you know, nice to meet you. You know, can I get you a drink? And he go and he just looks at me, you know. Obviously, I interview <laughs> a lot of computer science people. I interview a lot of people with not the most charisma or soft skills. And he kind of looks at me, he's like, I'm fine. And I was yeah, like, like we we had our, you know, at my job, we would have our meetings and I would say, This is what happens. When you ask a question to 30 people on the autism spectrum. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, so I, so this guy, so I meet at the coffee shop. I say, just yeah, come on, let me get you a drink. He goes, well, I don't drink coffee. I said, well, that's okay. They got, you know, they got fruit smoothies. They got all kinds of stuff. Just, just, and I, of course, I got a black coffee. I was like, just come on, get whatever you, get whatever you want. And he kind of just looked at me and then he kind of like looked at the, you know, at the, uh, you know barista or whatever and then he kind of looked back it was weird it was almost like a weird comedy or something and then i was like is he gonna say anything should i just should i just punch out and be like ah just a coffee you know like i didn't know what to do and then finally he looks back and he goes i'll have a milk (laughs) (laughs) i was like like, well okay i mean they probably have milk but when was the last time someone that wasn't a child ordered a milk at at a at a coffee shop so whatever. So I was like, okay, this one, this one will be interesting. <laughs> then I, so then we're kind of going through the interview, and uh, I learned some interesting things about him. But he was so forthright. I thought, well, this is a good thing. You know, it was like it's good that he's telling me how you know he got fired from this job or whatever. Because usually at an interview, people are just you know puffing themselves up and they're not going to say anything negative. So I, I, I found the the I, I what I saw as unnecessary honesty as sort of refreshing. So I was like, eh, why not? So anyway, this intern um, ran into some struggles. And, uh, but another funny part is, uh, 
you know, we were doing uh, we were doing performance reviews and we got this like Amazon star rating kind of system one through five, you know. And so basically the individual self assess and then uh, and then, you know, as a manager, you get to assess and both people get to provide comments. And in my case, you know, I reach out to a lot of like like the kind of frontline supervisors to say, hey, how you know how this person do the um, stakeholders, if you will. Yeah. And so there's all these core competencies or whatever. So on one of them, um, the, the, the reviews coming in were poor. And part of it was it's a student, you know, he's in school um, and that's fine. But anyway, he's not not meeting expectations. Well, he uh, gave himself five stars and then he proceeded to say a bunch of nice things about himself. And then he ended it with, if I could give myself six stars, I would. <laughs> that is the ultimate Amazon it. review. I love yes, it. which now, now we jokingly, whatever, something's really good. We're like, if I could give it six stars, I would. <laughs> All right. So that, so that, so that was a funny one. So, okay. So now, now we got another intern, right? Young, young guy, real smart guy. And now we're – so my company was acquired. So I would have given so many rants over the last couple of years about what it's like to be acquired and what it means to be a mid-level manager when suddenly you know, you're acquired by a larger company. I like the company I work for. So, But what's funny to me is that now that you're bigger, you get centralized support. So you get centralized IT, centralized HR. So the people now that do these functions for you, which are critical, in many cases you haven't in, in the era of COVID, you've never met them personally. They're, you know them by their email or whatever or by a Teams meeting, but you don't, you don't really know them. Um, so anyway, uh, we get an intern and um, he's doing great stuff. And then I'm talking to him one day and I'm like, oh, you know, how's your experience been? And the intern program at our company, they really make a big deal out of it. Like you get to meet the CEO and stuff. And, like, I've never met the CEO, you know. And, like, my boss has never met the CEO. So, we're kind of ribbing this intern. We're like, oh, you, you can put in a good word for us, you know. <laughs> like, you know, I have a great time talking to the CEO. And so, then we were curious. <laughs> we were curious. We're like, so, what kinds of things, you know, has HR, you know, done for you? He's like, oh, well, you know, we, we got a welcome packet. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, we figured it, you know, it was like, a, you know, a, a, a jacket or something. I was like, well, what was in it? And he's like... Well, we got, you know, he's like, I got a water bottle and a fidget spinner. It's like, <laughs> what? A fidget spinner? I was like, that was really popular for like a month, five years ago. Really? Oh, you know, fidget- Tom, you have no idea. They're still popular. I was like, you you really got a oh, fidget wow. spinner? He's like, yeah, fidget spinner with the company logo on it. I, so I just thought that was funny. So then he goes, well, yeah. And then he goes, and then, uh. Because they 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 actually ordered me dinner and they like door dashed it and I was like oh that's cool he's like and he kind of had this look on his face like there was more to the story so I was like well so you know what happened he's like well he's like it was a little weird I was like what do you mean what happened and so this this student um, basically lives right on like Wright State's campus and there are every fast food joint you've ever heard of within a quarter mile of Wright State's campus. Literally everything you've, you've heard of is like, yep, it's there. So I said, well, you know what happened? Just like this? every major college. Yeah. So I was like, so, you know, what, what happened with this DoorDash? He's like, well, 
you know, they didn't they didn't send it to the right address. They sent it to my ex girlfriend's address. I was like, oh, you know. So he had, so his ex girlfriend had to bring it over. <laughs> it was a pretty fresh breakup, so I think that was a little bit awkward. In her. The wound was still raw. It was still raw, and so then I was like, okay, well, you know. So then I asked them, um, you know, well, you know, what did they get you? So I just want to ask you guys. Let's just play Family Feud, right? Family Feud. The HR department gets an intern. Door dashes him some food. Give me your top five. Like what? Did, what did they get? What, what uh, McDonald's pizza or uh, Chick Fil A? Okay, got, that's good. All right, next. Next, I'm, I'm gonna go PF Chang's. Like upscale, okay. but still cheap. Okay, next. I'm gonna go sushi and uh, something else that's like very hyper local. So, first of all, Dayton is not a hyper local town it's more, of a, it's more of a it's more of a no 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 it's more of a it's a it's a demographic uh for the united states so actually fast food restaurants um they will try out new menu items in the in Dayton, Dayton. The columbus corridor they will really do this because if it sells really well between Dayton, springfield and columbus that's a cross section of america and they go yep that'll probably do well anywhere so you don't get a whole lot of like hyper local in Dayton. What anyway, does hyper local even mean? I'm I know what you're trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to think about what, like, what this guy would be swerving. I, I thought he'd be swerving. I know, I know what he meant. So, but here's the thing: like I asked a lot of people after the fact, and most answers were like Chipotle, Panera. You know that that was what was kind of going to win in Family Feud, right? So I don't know why this is so. Survey funny. says rallies. You got to eat <laughs> rallies. And here's the funniest part. There's one rallies in Dayton and it's, yeah, like, 20 miles, it's like 20 miles away. <laughs> it is like it is nowhere near campus. It is nowhere near campus. So I just start cracking up because I'm like and, and of course the intern is like, well, what's funny about this? Because that's interns, right? They don't they don't understand when something's weird or unique or funny. They're just like, I don't know. It's like. I've been right, in school. Right, right, right. I've been institutionalized my whole life. Now I'm at this weird place where you're all kind of weird. I don't know. I mean, it seems normal to me. And I'm like, rallies. So I was just <laughs> praying. I was so then I was like, well, would you would you what would you get? Would they get you at rallies? And he I don't know. It had something that had sounded violent. It was like, you know, bacon death or something. I mean, it it had like <laughs> a nat, it had like a natural disaster like in the name or something like that. <laughs> And I just wish, and I and if I was if I was not so ethical, I would just lie to make this story better. I just wish he was like vegan or something. Unfortunately, <laughs> he's not because I'd have made this story so much. Better. Are you talking about the Baconzilla, Tom? That's it. That's it. The Baconzilla. <laughs> oh the Bakezilla. Yes, oh, that's exactly no. what it is. So <laughs> I, I was like, up the menu. I just started dying. And I was like, please <laughs> tell me you're vegan. And he again, he doesn't. I'm laughing and this guy's looking at me like, I don't understand why my boss is laughing. Like, am I, what am I supposed to do here? But I'm like slapping my knee laughing. I'm like, I can't believe they got you rallies. And I'm like, please <laughs> tell me you're a vegan. And he's like, no, but I don't really like burgers. <laughs> <I was just> like, <laughs> so anyway, the, the description on the rallies menu is warning. There will be bacon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So last story, this guy's not an intern. But he is my favorite. He is my favorite employee, and he is an audiophile. And you have not met an audiophile until you met this guy. So I'm trying to get to know him. I'm trying to relate. I'm asking him questions, and he's got this little 
device at his desk. I'm like, hey, what's that? He's like, oh, that's basically, you know, like uh, a DAC. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, you push that to your headphones or whatever. And his ear, his earbud headphones, I swear that to me, I swear to you, they looked like what you get on a plane. Like they looked like super cheap, real thin wires, you know. And so he's got this thing that I'm guessing costs like a hundred bucks or something like that. And I was like, well, and I asked him, I was like, well, why, why do you buy something like this to take the sound from your laptop to your you know, earbuds if you're going to have just like kind of cheap run of the mill? Like these are no Beats by Dre or whatever. And he looked at me and he's like, these are really expensive earbuds. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Like how much? And he's like, oh my god what i was like what and i'm like how is that even possible and he's like well and he just looks at me and he kind of he's like well it's just all about the materials they use you know and i'm like 500 dollars. and so then he looks at me and he's like amused by my astonishment and he goes he goes do you see this usb cable right here this was a usb cable it was less than six inches long this was what was going from his laptop to his little DAC. And I said, yeah. And he goes, this is $280. Oh, my God. Wow. And I was like, does the company that make these make gutters? I, right. It's GutterBot 9000. So I'm like, dude. I'm like, no. I'm like, that's USB. I'm like, I'm an engineer. You don't pay money for digital. Digital's digital. It's just ones and zeros. Like, you know, you, you pay money for all this analog garbage because, you know, you know, people are audiophiles. And he looks at me like, and he goes, nope. And then <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, how in the world could a USB cable be that much money? Like, this thing should cost like a buck. And he goes, again, it's the materials. I'm like, but what's the benefit? It's digital. And he looks at me and he realizes now that, he can fill the disconnect. And he's like, well, he's like, let's say you got like a hard drive. I'm like, yep, I'm following. And he's like, and you got a USB cable. I'm like, yep, I'm following. And he goes, and your computer sends a packet. Yep, I'm following. He goes, and let's say somehow that packet just doesn't make it. I'm like, well, okay, I, I guess. He goes, the device tells the computer, send it again. And it sends it again. And that happens every once in a while. And he's like, and it's really not a big deal and you don't notice because it takes five minutes to transfer a couple gigabytes. And if it takes five minutes and one second or four minutes and 59 seconds, you don't really care. And he goes, that's not how audio works. He's like, audio just plays. You don't request the packet again. He's like, it's all real time. And so now I'm like, kind of like closing one eye like, oh, and then he goes, so I get less packet loss, you know? So I tell, I, I, I tell this to all the like senior, you know, software leads and they're all just like, holy cow, this dude's like totally intense. And, and so like, the, like a couple of days later, I go this downstairs. This is like a scene out of Silicon Valley. Oh my gosh. So a couple of days later, I go downstairs and I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know? And I give him a, a bro hug or whatever. And I'm like, so how many packets have you lost today? And he kind of looks at me like, if I'm, am I making fun of him or what? And he looks at me and he kind of like sneers and he goes, less than you. <laughs> <laughs> so I love, I love characters. I tell you what, like if you come one, come all. If you're, if you're quirky or you're fun or you're on the spectrum, come work for me because you make work fun. And okay, so now I want to really beautiful. quick say, I want to really quick say local politics greater than greater than greater than greater than greater than sign national politics 
So, oh no! Oh my gosh! We've got a solar farm that people are against. We've got uh, the town of Yellow Spring or the village of Yellow Springs, which is just the town north of my town. They're trying to build a bunch of houses, and like the city council split, and the big elephant in the room, Dave Chappelle, shows up this week. Oh yes, at a, at a town hall meeting, and he basically comes off the top rope and says. I've already invested blah, 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 blah in this town, and I'm getting ready to throw millions into this town, and if you go forth with this housing project, I'm out! (laughs) I so wish I would have been at that town hall meeting. Like, do you think Dave Chappelle at a town hall meeting acts like in one of his comedy specials? Or do you think he's, like, above board? I don't know. I really wish I could find out. The description you just said sounded exactly like, like, there's no difference between a sketch from the Dave Chappelle show and this interaction. I don't know, but it's it's riveting because now it's like, holy crap, if you're Village of Yellow Springs, I'm not building that housing development because you got a gadzillionaire that not only lives in your town, he's building a comedy club, he's building a restaurant, and he's saying no. I mean, it's local politics. What are you going to do? I I don't. He's I mean, putting I think up a rally. He's full of baconzillas. I, right. I think <laughs> you just, a rally. A rallies would never make it into Yellow Springs. They are hyper local there. That would Indeed. not fly there. No, absolutely. That would not fly there. That. So in my town, you know, you get like real issues. Like there's a jail that like is decrepit and need. We need a new one, and so you get like that on the ballot and you get all kinds of people talking about like a real thing that's a real building downtown that affects actual people you got like a homeless shelter and it's like where you know this is needs to be bigger like where should we put it you get this like combination of like nimbyism meets like pragmatism and you just you get people that aren't afraid to say what they really think where that's my biggest pet peeve with our current era is turn on the news open a browser you get other i mean i i i just i just i'm tired of the bs i just just tell me what you really think i'm not gonna judge you i don't i mean i might not agree with you but everyone is so like afraid to say what they really think and in local politics they're kind of not like you get some of these flyers from people running and you're like whoa like okay like there's some (laughs) hot takes in here like you can't say this guy i guess you can't it's local politics so local politics Oh, then the other one. So we have a defunct HOA in our neighborhood. And so I was asking our neighbor, like, how did this happen? Because we have this giant retaining pond that has a fountain that's never worked while I've lived here. And we got a gazebo that's falling apart. But like <laughs> once a once a once every two weeks or so, <clears throat> what if I shows told up, you that someone HOAs shows up, could go bad? <laughs> someone shows up and mows the grass. So I'm like, okay, so who owns this land? And so I'm talking to the neighbor and like, well, it's kind of a long story. So when the when the when the development was created, the there was supposed to be the, the builder was supposed to get the HOA on its feet, and then the 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 whole development was supposed to own this green space with the retaining pot and the gazebo, right? Well, except the developer never did that, and then I don't know if they flew town or whatever. So there was no HOA. So then, like, this one corner of the neighborhood tried to create, like, an HOA, but they started it by just including, like, three houses, and they kind of set their own rules about, like, what house, you know, like, new houses can only be, like, 
uh, ranches. And I don't, they had a bunch of weird things. And then after they had already created their bylaws and everything, then they went to the rest of the neighborhood and were like, hey, um, we're an HOA. You want to join, right? And so then people were like, uh, no, actually, like, we don't agree with some of these. So then it just kind of went under. So there's no HOA. So now the city was stuck with this land. I mean, it's probably like two acres. And, you know, they're mowing it. And so they put it up for sale. And someone bought it sight unseen, not knowing that the thing's a giant retaining pond. So they just bought a couple acres thinking, I don't know, they could build on it. I don't know what they thought. And then um, it was like, a, I don't know if it was like a sheriff's sale or something like that. But as soon as they bought it, they came out and looked at it. And they're like, what? And so they tried to give it back, and the county was like, no take-backs. Like, you own it. <laughs> One, two, three, so not it. Poor, so now some poor guy is, like, just stuck mowing this lawn, you know, every every couple weeks. And I don't know. It's just, it's just funny. It's just – sometimes it's funny. Like, how did this come to be? And the story is just kind of wacky and just full of strange twists and turns. So – that's all I got. I, I don't know. I'll, I, next I time, next time I got to get off my lawn rant, I'll write it down and I'll, yeah. I'll bring it and I'll bring it with fire. But I love the idiosyncrasies of, you know, American life that like what makes it's what makes us different from everywhere else. We're just weird and quirky and every little place has its own, you know, in the words of Vincent Vega, it's the little differences. So, yeah, it, it's just weird. I, and I love it. So I'm I'm glad you you uh, took us through your your little uh, slice of Americana there, Tom. It and, is and, a slice of Americana, and, and not trying to be condescending when I say that. So no. I, I'm gonna pitch uh, for this week. Uh, you know the way you talk on that reminds me of one of my favorite podcasts. It's the Adventure Zone podcast, and um, I probably pitched it on the show before, but it's basically. Four hyper-literate nerds who, well, three of them are brothers and one's the dad. And it starts out, they're all playing D&D for the first time. And they're all kind of morons. Uh, but it's also hilarious because they're really funny and they just crack jokes the whole time. And what it is a phenomenon now. It's been on for six years. You can literally start at the beginning. There's like multiple stories they've done. They're, um, oh, what are their names? Um... Oh, it's going to drive me nuts. Um, it's the McElroy brothers. The McElroy brothers. Yeah. Super fun. Super funny. Um, I love the podcast. They've got a whole podcast network now. I'm pretty sure that's all they freaking do is just rake in the podcast monies. But yeah, it's it's a super fun listen. Great for road trips. Uh, you know, it's PG-13 rated. Um, so if you've got older kids, it's fine for them to listen. And, and like I've been listening and almost driven off the road. I've laughed so hard at this podcast. So it's, it, it's super great. So that's my pitch for this week. And, uh, what about you, Chris? Is you got any pitches? I'll go real quick. Uh, you know, ball uh, in sticking with the podcast spirit, you know, ball podcasts, uh, Philly friend of our, uh, Philly friend of mine. Uh, does NBA slash uh, Philadelphia basketball. Check it out. You know ball. Nice. What about you, Chris Lydon? Anything to pitch? I am failing once again to come up with a good pitch. Oh, no. I, I, we're at an hour to. and 18, <laughs> or an, almost at two hours. So Now, I'm going to repeat a pitch I made in, in an earlier podcast and just say that all my Cleveland homies should be going out to the Wolstein Center and checking out uh, Cleveland Charge games. 
Like the yes. tickets are insanely cheap. You can sit like in the lower bowl. You can see all the calves <laughs> sitting there watching their buddies play. Yes. You, you can, can see the eighth wonder of the world, Taco Fall, the world's largest mobile human. Yes, you can potentially actually meet Cavs players because they're there, from what I can gather, like at least twice a week. And uh, it's a really good deal. And I think there was a lot made about them leaving Canton. And I'm, I'm a, a big fan of the Akron Canton area. But uh, take advantage of it. The Wilson Center is super fun. Uh, and the, the prices are like under like double A baseball prices for tickets and concessions. Nice. And stuff. It's nuts. Nice. Like just go there. It's a good, it's a good place to go. Cool. And Tom, anything to pitch before we uh, roll on out of here? Oh man. Um, Oh, what am I going to pitch? All How right. are you not I, thinking of this already? Yeah, I'll, I'll pitch, uh, for the gamers out there. Um, a video game, uh, developer, called uh, Freebird Games. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy, uh, his name's Ken Gao. He's in Canada. And he's just unbelievable. So you will love these games if you ever were a fan of like 90s, like uh, Super Nintendo RPGs. They're that kind of art style. But the writing is hilarious. It's really touching. He composes all the music and he's a very accomplished musician. They're short games. Oh, he did To the Moon. He did to the moon, yeah. And they're, his newest one just dropped a couple months ago um, called Imposter Factory. But to the moon and finding paradise, honestly, like, you know, the last couple of years has been hard for different people for different reasons. I had a tough year um, because, you know, I had that shoulder surgery that was way more, the recovery was more intense than I thought. And, uh, you know, but I played those games and I felt like a changed man after playing those games. Like they were so touching and just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but they're not that long. They're super cheap. You can get them on steam. I think you can get them on the switch. So yeah, yep. um, the games That's true. are I'm looking uh, at the wiki. The, yep. To the moon, finding paradise. There's one called the bird story. The latest one's called imposter factory. I think he's going to release more. Really sadly, one of his artists actually died of cancer. So he's been, um, oh man, uh, yeah, he's been, uh, uh, you know, putting out a lot of tributes to that guy. And he's in the credits. And he, Ken, did a lot of nice things for that guy's um, family. After his name was Jordan, and after he died, you know, he posted stuff like, "Hey, please send notes of you know uh, condolences to you know his mom and sister and stuff like that." So. Just he seems like an awesome guy. He's a funny guy. He's real wholesome. I'm just blown away by his talent. <clears throat> um, you know, Undertale was a huge phenomenon, and it rightly so. It was very clever. I think this is like on that level. It just doesn't. Oh yeah, a lot of people love To the Moon. I've never played any of the other ones, but I've yeah. seen so a playthrough of To the Moon. I would definitely pitch anything that he's done or will do going forward because I think he's just an insanely talented guy and i like follow him on youtube just you know when he does something it's always kind of he's he's very funny guy he's always you know kind of poking fun at, at himself or something so I'll very that. cool so imposter factory the description is a bonkers time loop tragic comedy murder mystery thriller featuring multiple casualties in a suspicious cat so I think that just sounds fantastic <laughs> well the best character is a is a bot called rice bot it's a rice cooker with an AI and it's hilarious. And so just go, go, go to YouTube and look up rice bot and 
I would say <laughs> do not play Imposter Factory until you've played the others, because Imposter Factory is almost a little bit more like a walking simulator, and you'll still enjoy it, but you will appreciate it so much more if you've played the other two, which are kind of self-contained stories. This feels more like a transitionary step to something else. Like there, he, He's now definitely threading between these stories, and so there's it was pretty obvious. When I got to the end of the game, I was like, this can't be the end of the game. And then he basically there's a screen that kind of shows like there's more coming. So then I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Because I went into it thinking this was the end of a trilogy, and it's clearly not. So Wow. So this is like a whole segue to other uh, games. I'd love to have a whole podcast on games because I want to know if anybody's played Kentucky Route Zero or uh, Disco Elysium, which are two of the better uh, story-based uh, computer games that have, have been out yes. in the last... I played, I played all the way through Disco Elysium, and it was a good time. Oh, awesome. And has anybody played Kentucky Route Zero, which is also supposed to be another awesome story-based game? So uh, check that out if you haven't, because I've heard great things. Haven't played it myself. I tend to lose myself in computer games, so I try to be pretty picky about what I play. But... Um, we need to wrap this bad boy up. So Cavs Saturday, Bucks, then the Hawks on Sunday, then, uh, the Celtics on the 22nd, and then they get a nice Christmas break. Uh, but a three game road trip coming up. Uh, we will know a lot about the Cavs after this three day, three game road trip. And as always go Cavs, go Cavs. We're going to win the next three. Go Cavs. Blowout other teams in the NBA. Mediocre teams don't blow out other teams. Is that your takeaway? Not consistently. Yep. Their Cavs okay. are good. And go Cavs! <laughs> Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite bloggers.